Good morning. I got to prepare you, I guess, to greet me. Good to see you guys. Um, we're going to continue our sermon series, get close to finishing our sermon series on the book of Psalms. We're going to do a sermon today from Psalm 135, and then next week we're going to do one last one on Psalms, and then we're going to do a few weeks on the book of Philemon, the little book of Philemon in the New Testament. So if you want to start reading ahead, feel free to read through that. You can read through that in just a few minutes. It's a, it's a very short book. But today we're going to look at Psalm 135, which is a psalm, like pretty much all of the psalms, it's, it's about worship. It's about praising God. Um, but maybe Psalm 135 more so than others. The very first three verses tell us to, to praise God five times. So it says praise to the Lord five, four times, and then it says sing to the Lord once. That's five times it tells us to praise him. And then the last three verses of the, of the psalm tell us to bless the Lord five times. Um, I think it's telling us something. The, the very last verse then says, it sums it all up. It says, praise the Lord. It's all about worshiping God. And, and, uh, and it, it's important, um, I would say, that, that worship is the probably central, I would, not probably, but is the central act of our lives. Um, God made us to worship. He made us to worship him. But the thing is, since we were made to worship him, if we aren't worshiping him, then we will always, 100% of the time, be worshiping something. We will be declaring with our, our voices, with our actions, with our choices, with our feelings, we'll be declaring that something is of ultimate importance to us. That's, in a sense, what it means to worship. And so we're, we're always worshiping something. And Psalm 135 gives us some, uh, some good reasons to worship the thing we were made for, the one we were made for. Because this is the thing, when, whatever we worship, it controls everything about life. It controls what we feel, how we respond to life. It controls what we pursue, what we decide, what we choose, how we speak, what we treat, how we treat people. What we're worshiping dictates everything, controls everything. So it's crucial for us to listen to this psalm. So listen to God's word as I read. You can follow along in the order of worship. It's printed in there. In there. Um, but if you have a Bible, I encourage you to read along with me. Follow along with me there. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and of beast. Who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants? who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands, they have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. 
so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes as we look at this psalm, that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to see you clearly. Help us to understand what you're saying to us. Help us to worship you even as we think about these words. And Father, we pray that you would change us by your spirit because that's what we need. We need you to change us, that we would become more the people you made us to be, that we would become more like Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever played Would You Rather? Have you played that recently as a game? Uh, you know, you, you ask a question, would you rather this or that? And it's, you know, often designed to spark conversation and thought. And uh, so I thought, you know, um, I looked up some good Would You Rather questions that I wanted to start off with, with today. Just, you know, think about these things. You don't have to answer, answer them out loud, but uh, we can talk about them after the service if you want to. Um, would you rather be able to speak any language in the world at any time, so any person that speaks another language from you, you can communicate with them, or would you rather be able to communicate with animals all the time? It's a tough decision maybe for some of us, I don't know. <laughs> you, okay, you got your answer? Okay, um, here's another good one. Um, would, you, would you rather be chronically underdressed, like everywhere you go, you're underdressed, or would you rather be chronically overdressed? Everywhere you go, you're overdressed. Yeah, we know what some of you would choose. It's obvious, yeah. I'm overdressed. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Thank you for being overdressed, Ian. Um, okay, would you rather be forced, okay, whenever there's music playing where you are, would you rather be forced to have to sing along to music whenever it's present, or would you rather be forced to dance along to the music whenever it's present? That's, a, that's maybe a tough one. Would you rather be forced to sing along or dance along? I mean, if you're, if you're somewhere where you're trying to talk to people, if singing along makes it very hard to communicate with them, right? So, I mean, I'd be, I think I would be forced to have to dance along, but I, 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 I shudder at the thought. I'm terrified. <laughs> Oh boy, would you, okay, last one. Would, would you rather um, have all green traffic lights for the rest of your life or never wait in a line for the rest of your life? And line at a traffic light does not count, okay? <laughs> all green lights or never wait in a line, okay. Um, Psalm 135 is basically a would you rather scenario. That's what Psalm 135 is. Did you notice that as I was reading it? Maybe you didn't, I don't know. But it basically compares the God of Israel to all the other gods, all the other idols that all the other nations worship. It, it, it gives us a, a question, it begs the question, would you rather worship Yahweh, the living God, or would you rather worship and attach yourself to all of these other idols, all of these other gods? He, he compares both of them um, and 
our problem, we were all, as I said at the very beginning, we were all made. We were made to worship God. We were made to know the right answer to that question. You know, all those other would you rather questions, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. You know, if you have reasons you could pick, you know, uh, would you rather have all green lights or not wait in a line? There's no real right answer to that question, but there is a correct answer to the question, would you rather worship the living God or worship an idol, a God of the nations? The problem is, our problem is that we regularly and often choose to worship things other than God. We regularly and often do it. Um, it, it gets tricky because, like, you know, this, this psalm points out that the, the idols of the nations at that time, they were things made out of gold and silver. They were statues made out of stone. They were carvings and things like that. So in our, in our contemporary culture, we're like, well, we don't really do that, do we? Well, we don't necessarily bow down to physical, you know, statues, um, really, in our, our country. But, but what we do do is we worship all sorts of other things that become idols to us. Um, a really influential, great uh, pastor named Tim Keller just passed away this past week. And uh, in his book, he's written a lot of great books. One of his books is called Counterfeit Gods. And in that book, he described, you know, what an idol is for us in these days. He, he, he talks about how an idol for us is anything that captures our heart and our imagination more than God does. Or it's anything that we look to to give us what only God can. Um, he also describes it this way. He says, it's, it's, it's anything that we, we say, like, if I just have that one thing, then my life will have meaning. Or if I just have that one thing, then I will have significance or I will have security. That's what, that's what an idol is for us. And when you think about idols in that way, they are, there's an endless list of idols that we are all tempted to worship that we're all tempted to bow down to, that we're all tempted to let control how we live our lives. So what are those idols that we turn to? What are some of those idols that we turn to for meaning and fulfillment that only God can fill? There, there's an endless list. Our, our, in our culture, one of the things that, that many people are, are looking to to satisfy their, their longings and their desires is, and is, is their identity. Have you noticed that? our identity in the world. We, we attach our identity to something, something about us. And we say, you know, don't touch that thing or I will fight back, I will attack or I will be depressed if you take it away from me. Our identities become a real idol, something that controls how we approach life, how we feel about life. Um, also in our culture, I mean, wealth, money, the things that we can buy, the stuff that we long for, that we think will make us happy, that's a massive idol. Like we, we attach ourselves to, to, to having enough money to be secure, right? And if we don't have enough, if, we, if there are too many bills, if we have to spend, you know, spend too much on things that are unexpected, it, it stresses us out. Am I gonna be okay, right? our wealth and our stuff. Um, I mean, technology is becoming a really massive idol in our culture, isn't it? You know? Um, and especially our, our phones are a big idol. Our, our telephones, our, our, our phones that fit in our pockets have, are a massive idol for us. Um, and connected to that, social media. 
you know, for a lot of us, the way that we interact on social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, you know, and the way that, that people respond to us is a big idol and, and impacts how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about life. There's so many things, so many things. There's, uh, you know, our appearance, the way people look at us, the way people think about us, our job, our title, our status, entertainment, pleasure, influence, people. People become a big idol, and that's where it's tricky. That's where it's tricky, because last week, if you remember, if you were paying attention, I was talking about how people are important, right? God wants us to invest ourselves in people. People are significant, and it's so important, but the problem becomes that, that we tend to then look at people to give us what only God can give us, and we elevate them to a place that, that like, if, if I have this person's love or attention, then, then that's when I will be secure, whether it's our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend or, or our kids or our friends. People can become an idol and what they think of us, and, and that, that can control how we approach life and the decisions we make and how we act. So the thing is, the pull to these things is strong. The pull to these things is strong, especially because these things are often visible and they're immediate and they offer a taste of what God gives us, you know? And the thing is, most of these things, almost all of these things are really gifts from God. Gifts from God to give, give us to, 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 that, that we can appreciate and enjoy and yet we elevate these gifts and count on these gifts to give us what only God can give us. And we let them control us rather than God's presence and love. And so what this psalm, I think, does, one of the things I see this psalm doing is it gives us three reasons to turn away from all of those other things as the things that are going to give us significance and meaning and security and instead turn to God alone. Um, the first thing that it says is it points out that idols are limited, whereas God is not. Idols are extremely limited, whereas God is not. All the idols that we're tempted to latch onto for meaning and happiness, they all have limits. You realize this. We put so much value on ourselves, on who we are, on what we can do, on, on how we define ourselves, on, on, on our abilities, on our intelligence, and yet every single one of us, we, we all have limits. None of us is completely powerful and able to do whatever we want. We all, all of our limits are actually way below absolute power. <laughs> I, I uh, bumped up against this just this past week. I was, uh, you know, I, I've told you before I'm not really a very handy guy, but I, I had to put a, 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 a new storm door on our back door, and, and I was like, this does not look that hard. I can handle this. I mean, it's just basically, it looks like just one long hinge. You just have to take a bunch of screws out, put the other one on, and, it's, and we're good to go. And, uh, and so I bought the, the, our storm door. I measured it, you know, made sure I got the right size, brought it home from Home Depot, and I laid it all out on our back porch, all the pieces, made sure. I was following the directions, guys. You know, I didn't throw them out. I was following the directions. I'm on step one, and I'm looking at step one, and step one's telling me, like, which way to put the hinge on so you put the door on the right way. And, uh, and I don't want to get it wrong, and so I'm, I'm looking at step one, I'm reading step one, I'm, I'm rereading step one, and I'm reading step one again, I'm, I'm really meditating on step one, <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm thinking about step one for like 25 minutes, and I'm like, you know, and finally I just went inside, and sat on the couch, and I, I was like so depressed, I like 
tell Kim, I'm like, you know, I thought I was pretty smart, but I, I can't even get through step one of these directions. <laughs> but I, I, took, I took a breath and, I, and a break, and I went back out, and I was able to figure it out. And, and the storm door is now, in fact, up and running, so that's exciting. Yeah, thank you. But the point is, we have limits, right? We have limits. Boy, do we have limits. Um, we, there, you know, I, I also mentioned you know, our, our technology. We, we look to that to, to solve our problems and to make our lives secure and happy, and yet those things have so, so many limits as well. You know, just think of our phones. I mean, 50 years ago, if you would have told somebody you, you could carry this thing in your pocket that had like all the information, all the knowledge in the world at your fingertips anytime you want, um, they, those, pe- those people would have been like, you've got to be kidding me, no way. This thing is so powerful, right? Unlimited power in your pocket. And yet, what I found is if you forget your charger, it's useless. <laughs> you know, anytime we're going on vacation, we're, that's like the thing. We're like, did we get the chargers? Did we get the chargers? I can't tell you how many times somebody comes into church and they're like, do you have a charger in the office? I need to borrow your charger. You know, if, if you don't have a charger, that thing is extremely limited, right? It's useless. It's absolutely useless. I mean, the, the fact that we actually have an iPhone 14 tells us how limited phones are, and, and there's going to be another one coming out, right? And another one after that. And you're going to want it. That tells us how limited they are. iPhone 1 wasn't good enough. And so that's why we continually long for more. They're all limited in what they can do and how they can serve us, you know? Um, all of these things are limited. The stuff that we buy, you know, some of us, like, we, we, we long for this brand new car. You know, if I can just get this specific car, my dream car, my life will be, you know, complete, perfect. And, and, and if you get that car, where's that car going to be in 30 years? It's going to be probably in a junkyard somewhere, rusting out. You know, our kids long for these video games. If I just get this one video game, it's coming out on Friday! And then we get it, and I guarantee in three or four weeks that it's just going to be forgotten st- sitting on another pile of video games, right? They're all limited. All of it's limited. And, and even when it comes to people, right, the people that we attach our meaning and value to, that, you know, if only they will love us, if only they will be happy, they're limited too. Their ability to love you is limited by their own absorption with themselves, just like we're absorbed with ourselves. We're all limited. But God is without limits. God is without limits. Look at verses five and six. It says, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is great above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all depths. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. There is nothing that stops him from doing what he wants. Can you imagine what that's like? We can't, because that is absolutely not true of any of us. Whatever God pleases, he does. There's no limits to his power. And then it goes on to describe his power over creation, his power over the weather, right? And also his power that he uses to care for his people, to provide for his people, to rescue them from Egypt and to give them the land of Canaan. His power is unlimited. unlimited. His power is absolute. His power is unstoppable. 
And then it, it goes on later in verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 13. He says, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all generations. God doesn't end. He is eternal. He's not only absolute in power and unlimited in his power, but, but he, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is just as interesting now. He'll be just as interesting in 2,000 years as he is now, as he was 2,000 years ago. He is not a passing fad. If you get bored of who he is, if you commit yourself to knowing him and you get bored of who he is, the issue lies with you, not him. He is unlimited. Second, this psalm reminds us that idols are lifeless, but God is not. Verse 15 and 16 say this. They say, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. His point is this. The idols that, that the people are worshiping, they are, they're just these statues. They, they have no life in them whatsoever. And how silly is it to look to something that is lifeless to give you life? Isn't it? It makes no sense whatsoever that we think we can get life from something that, that does not have life at all, that does not breathe, that cannot speak, that cannot listen to us. How can you expect something that is lifeless to give you life? And I think, again, that's we, we hope that the idols that we cling to, the idols that we attach ourselves to, so many of them are obviously lifeless, right? I mean, that new car, that, that new TV, it's not going to talk back to me. I can't have a relationship. I mean, we've come to the point in our, in our technology now where our phones do talk back to us, right? Our phones are listening to us. We can talk to Siri, and she'll respond. Um, and I think, and, and there's all sorts of advancements, especially even recently, recently with, with uh, AI, right? Where you can ask, you know, chat GPT, is that what it is? To, to, to write something for you, or you can ask it a question, it'll answer you. And how tragic it is that there are people who are going to be getting their answers for life from, from this, this chat GPT, from an AI, which just is simply just uh, all coded, right? It's just a, a person behind that. It's not really alive. It doesn't really care. These things aren't alive. And you, you might be saying, well, what about people? I was talking about people being an idol. People live and breathe and talk. Yes, that is true. But I, I, I think that when we begin to see our children as an idol, what, what happens is, what we, what we, I would argue that what we do is we kind of have this idealized version of our kids. This idealized version maybe of our wife or our husband. That is what becomes an idol for us. And it prevents us from actually loving the real person that is right there with all their flaws and all their failures and all their imperfections. It prevents us from responding to them genuinely and loving them in the way they need to be loved. This image, this idealized version of the people that we idolize is not alive. It's an imposter. But when the psalmist describes idols this way, I think absolutely he means for us to recognize and re uh, he's implying, you know, the idols do not breathe, but God 
does. He is alive. He is alive. He does listen. He does speak. He does see you. You actually can relate to him. When he speaks, his words have power to create, to make sense of things. When he speaks, his words have, have, have the power to give you meaning, your life meaning. He listens. He listens to your cries for help, your cries of misery in the midst of your pain. He sees you. He notices you. He, he knows exactly what you're going through. He is alive. Idols are lifeless, but God is not, and that's absolutely why we should be worshiping him instead of them. Lastly, idols are loveless, but God is not. In verse 4, look at verse 4, and, and don't miss this. Um, it's so easy to take this for granted. Verse 4 is that the first reason the psalmist gives for praising God, for praising who he is. It says, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. The Lord has chosen Israel as his own possession. The Lord has chosen his people. Don't take this for granted. The fact that God chooses his people. He has chosen Jacob. He has chosen Israel. And he chooses you. And, and the crazy thing about this is that this choice doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. When it comes to the would you rather thing, as I said before, we regularly and often choose the wrong thing. We don't choose the living God. We choose all these other things to, to make ourselves secure and happy, to have peace, to have meaning. And, and our choice is, is a result of our self-centeredness, our selfishness. As far as God goes, um, the choice to, to love us or not to love us. He has every reason in the world not to love us, not to choose us, because we don't deserve it, because we haven't chosen him. We haven't loved him. We haven't acknowledged him. We ignore him. We don't pay attention to him. And yet, he chooses us. He chooses to set his love upon us. He chooses to do good to us. And that makes no sense. He chooses us to love us. It is incredible news that God has chosen you. It's not because of the fact that you are worthy. In fact, you are, I'm telling you, you are unworthy, and so am I. But God has chosen to love you. He's chosen to love you. If you will receive the gift of his love, he's chosen to love you. And there's nothing that can disrupt that love. There's nothing that can get in the way of that love. I hate to break this to you, but idols will never love you like God will. Talked about our, you know, our, our 85-inch TV is never going to love you. Your phone is never going to love you. Your social media, you know, Instagram is not going to love you. All that's going to do is remind you of how unworthy you really are. And it, it is, it's tragic that so many young kids today are looking to Instagram for acceptance and love. Um, our clothes, the new, the new outfit, 
that you really desperately wanted, that's not going to love you. That's only going to remind you that you have to stay the same to be accepted. Don't gain any weight. Those things aren't going to love you. But again, you might be wondering, but what about people? People do love me. And that's true. Yes. The people in our lives that are close to us, we can receive love from them. We can find love through them. But again, that love is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the love, the, the perfect love of God for you. It's going to be it's going to be contaminated. It's going to be warped by their own sin, their own issues, their own self-centeredness. And, and that's going to result in, and coupled with your own self-centeredness, that's going to result in, in, you know, unhealth in your relationship. It's going to result in dysfunction in your relationship. You're not going to be able to escape it if you're looking to that relationship as the thing that gives you what you need. God's love is the only one that will not fail you. The only one that is absolutely perfect. And so, what will you choose? It seems to be a no-brainer, right? It should be a no-brainer for us, but it's hard. It's hard to choose what we should and what we need to. We have so many opportunities every day of our lives to answer this question. Every day of your life, it's going to be a would-you-rather. You know, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the gym, would-you-rather. As you come home, would you rather, what are you going to set your heart on? What are you going to set your heart on? Jesus was constantly asking people he met this question. You don't, you know, see it in the red letters in your Bible. He doesn't say, would you rather, you know, but, but he was constantly asking people this question. Would you rather? Would you rather? And guess what? He is everything that God promises to be here in Psalm 135. He is everything that God promises to be here in Psalm 135. And we talked about how God is without limits. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees when when he confronted them that one time? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claimed to be God himself, to be eternal. Later in the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is without limits. You remember that one leper who cried out to Jesus, if you will, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. If you're pleased to do it, when Jesus chose to use his power, there was nothing that stopped him. And that's how he answered the leper. He said, I'm willing, be clean. And the leper was cleansed right away, right? Jesus is without limits. Jesus is full of life. We talk about How the idols, you know, they can't see, they can't speak, they can't hear. What do we see as you look at the life of Jesus? He heard people. Remember the blind beggar as he cries out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And and, and Jesus hears him. And he goes over and, and and he heals him. He meets him in the midst of his need. All over the New Testament, all over the, the Gospels, Jesus is constantly, it's, it's, the Gospel writers are constantly pointing out how Jesus sees people. He sees them all the time. Think especially of the widow at Nain as, as, she's, as she's walking along in the funeral procession of her son. And what does it say? Jesus saw her. And his heart went out to her. And he went over to her. And he raised her son to life. Jesus sees. And Jesus spoke 
What did Jesus say? What were some of the things that Jesus said? Rise up and walk. Lazarus, come out. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You are forgiven. It is finished. These are the sorts of things that Jesus said. And lastly, the idols are loveless, but God isn't. God is full of love. Jesus is the ultimate representation of God's love, the act of God's love. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is why Jesus came, to love us, to choose us, to choose to lay his life down for us even though we are unworthy and we are regularly choosing what is wrong. So what will you choose? What you choose will control how you live. What you choose will control how you respond to tragedy, how you respond to people who are annoying. What you choose will, will control how you love people. And, as, and so I guess the one kind of application in all of this is as you are confronted with the temptation to choose, as you think about all these different things in life that could potentially be idols, our, tempt, our temptation is to, to take these gifts from God and worship them. But instead, think about how you can use all of the gifts that God gives you, the people God gives you, the technology, your job, all these things. How can you use them instead to worship him instead? Set your heart on him. As the idols call to you this week, ask yourself, what would you rather? Would you rather know and live in light of the one who is limitless, in light of the one who is full of life, in light of the one who loves you perfectly and completely. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to, as, as, we, as we go from here today, that you would help us to, to recognize the idols that call out to us for our attention, for our devotion. Help us to recognize these things in order that we might make the choice and find our, our life in you rather than in these things. Find our, our joy in you rather than in these things. Our security in you rather than in these things. Father, we pray that, you would, that your spirit would be actively working in our hearts to help us to, to notice these opportunities to choose.